With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe-Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lock-away channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pampers Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. I want you to imagine someone grilling carne asada, the scent of the marinade, the smoke swirling in the air. Chances are you are imagining a man, and if so, Bricia Lopez wants you to expand your vision of who's behind that grill. The co-owner of LA's Gelaguetza has made a name for herself, not only as a restaurateur, but as a fierce proponent of Oaxacan culture and cuisine. Bricia talks us through why some restaurants succeed when so many fail, the inspiration behind her new cookbook, Asada, the art of Mexican-style grilling, and what she's teaching her son about the privilege of being Oaxacan. Patricia, thank you so much for doing this. Oh my gosh, girl, please. Anything for you. Patricia, born and raised in Oaxaca, what was on the dinner table when you were growing up? I grew up in a very beautiful household where my mom would make a homemade meal every single night and a different flavor agua fresca every single night from something as simple as just like a vegetable soup, you know? to an estofado, the pollo. My three favorite things she would make would be pollo and chipotlado, which is a chicken braised in this chipotle tomato sauce. And then uh, the second one was her salsa de carne frita, which is fried pork ribs, also in this beautiful like tomato with morita sauce, which is also a type of a chipotle. And then the third one she came up with this. I, it's so funny. I, I tell her, like, you need to, like, I think she sent it to me once. She had this recipe called Pollo Mistico that she made up, which is was basically just a guisado of chicken and plantains and oranges. And I think that day she probably didn't have much and she just made whatever she could with what she had. 
She just called it Mystic Chicken. Well, of course she can't give you the recipe for Mystic Chicken. <laughs> it was like rice beans. Oh, rice and beans always. It, like, I think like base, rice, beans, tortillas, cheese. Those three things are base. And then soup or chicken or anything and agua fresca always. Was she pulling you into the kitchen or was she pushing you away from the kitchen? I just had this conversation yesterday with a chef that came over to my restaurant and we were alert. I was teaching him how to make mole and I was like, I'm going to be like my mom right now because my mom has this way of not telling you you're doing it wrong, but there's an actual push. <laughs> like there's an art to this push where like she'll tell you to do something and if you don't do it well, like that's your one chance. And if you don't do it well, like she'll like grab the pan from your hand and just like do a little shimmy, like a little pivot to just like an actual push you from it and be like, yeah, you're not going to make it here. Do you know what I mean? Do I you know do. I do. She's just like an like a very kind, low-key like shimmy and just push you off. And then you just have to like watch. So I learned how to cook by watching her. Not She never was the woman that sat there. I was like, okay, Mija, like, this is the way it's done. And, you know, this is the way you hold the knife. You know, I'm like that with my son today. His knife skills are pretty impressive for an eight-year-old. And I sit there with him and I teach him and I show him. And, you know, someone make tortillas and he flips them and he, like, uses his hands. Like, he's learning these things, but I'm teaching him. My mom never taught me. Your mom is the chef at home, but it's your dad who ultimately opens the restaurant in L.A. Was the restaurant itself the reason that your family moved to the United States? Yeah. So my mom was always cooking at home. My dad was a mezcal maker. He made mezcal and sold mezcal. He was always a merchant. He was always just like a traveling salesman, traveling through Mexico, selling mezcal, selling mezcal, making it. Just hard work, you know? It's just... I feel like my family's history is more of like, if you're not out in the field, like if you're not sweating, if you're not physically tired at the end of the day, like you're not really working. But in the early 90s, Mexico had a huge money devaluation, which hasn't happened. And I think Americans aren't really familiar with the devalue of a currency. So imagine if tomorrow the Fed said, okay, everyone who has a $10 bill that $10 bill is not going to be worth $10. Now it's going to be worth a dollar. And it was like from one day to the next. So since my dad was in commerce, people owed him money. And then he, you know, like, how do you even wake up to those news the next day, right? With four kids in school, with no money in the bank, basically, like your money has been slashed by 10. Thankfully at this time, my dad had a visa and a passport. I don't know how, but he did. So he was able to come to the U.S., his sister lived here. He really wanted to become a gardener. That was like what he wanted to do because he realized like, if I do this labor, they pay me this much, like I could make a great living out of this. But then he started selling Oaxacan food to people from Oaxaca. And then shortly thereafter, he did a pop, what would you call right now? Like a pop-up. Back then it was just like, he posted up in the corner and slang tortillas and clayudas. He was a street food vendor and then saw a place that was for Lee's just went for it, opened a restaurant, started doing very well from the beginning, and then told my mom, I think we need to move the entire family here because there's no future in Mexico. Our future is here. So we all moved. I was 10 years old, crossed the border with a backpack full of cheese, and have been, you know, being in food ever since. What kind of cheese? <laughs> well, hockey cheese, the only cheese worth like smuggling through a border. <laughs> 
When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&M's for all fun kind. Once you were in the United States, Patricia, what were the lessons you were being taught at home about what it meant to be Oaxacan? And then what were the messages you were getting outside of your home about what it meant to be Oaxacan? I think there was like no clear messaging at home saying like, okay, Patricia, this is what it means to be Oaxacan, right? Like, because I am from Oaxaca and I went to school there. I danced all the folklorico. My parents were in a Oaxacan restaurant. I was surrounded by Oaxacan community. I always loved our food. My mom made an altar every single year, just like my grandma. We never lost any of our costumbres. It was always the same, right? It, it was almost as if we never left other than now we couldn't go outside and play. There was other things that we couldn't do. You know, believe it or not, the world in America was more kind as to like what it meant to be from Oaxaca than the world in Mexico. I think when I was in Mexico, the world was telling me like I wasn't enough because I was from Oaxaca. But, you know, I also went to, I think an 80% non-Latino school. My parents sent me as far as they could. So they sent me to a school in Palisades. And if anyone's familiar with Los Angeles Palisades, it's say 95% white. So even though everyone was very kind, my teachers were very kind. My teachers really took to me. They really wanted to quote unquote help me with my English and just everyone was kind. As a 13 year old girl in middle school, not really knowing the language, looking around, everyone looked like an episode of Saved by the Bell, 
I didn't. (laughs) I think that was very hard on my self-esteem and on my personal value because there wasn't any women that looked like me on TV or writing books or doing anything that I was aware of. I mean, the people who were on TV really showcasing our food. I mean, we were, my family was in a very tiny sense. So when I turned on TV, I would only see Diana Kennedy and Rick Bayless showcasing Mexican food. So I grew up thinking like that was the goal. Like if a white person cooked your food, like, oh my God. And it wasn't until really my early thirties, late twenties that I was just sort of like took that back and said, no, like I don't have to be a white woman (laughs) in order to promote my food. And I think this new generation of girls who, you know, I didn't grow up in privilege. My kids are growing up in privilege. So I think they're going to grow up with that audacity of like not being apologetic. I didn't grow up like that. So I always had to like keep your head down and say thank you and just be grateful for what you have. And I didn't grow up in privilege. And it wasn't until recently that I really tapped into like that white woman audacity that I want to have. (laughs) Right. And I think everyone should tap into that. And we all have it. And that's sort of like what I want my children to grow up with. Watching your dad run a restaurant, what were the biggest lessons and what were the biggest mistakes you watched him make? Biggest lessons, I would say anything is possible. You don't really need anything but sheer will to make things happen. Work and will will get you wherever you want. Mistakes? I think I learned a lot more mistakes. than (laughs) My dad, I think he became a millionaire and went bankrupt in the span of 15 years. So I saw the rise, but I saw also like the major fall. And I think that the fall taught me a lot more than the rise. It's like not having people around you that know more than you, not being afraid of asking questions and having financial literacy is one of the most important things that we can do for our families and taking responsibility for ourselves for doing that and not putting the burden on anyone else, especially your 13-year-old daughter. Draw a picture for me. What was the burden that was being placed on you? I'm Not just me. I think my siblings, right? I mean, my dad to this day can speak English. So I also understand my father grew up and my mom grew up in a you know, traumatic household, like most of our immigrant parents did, and always saw children as older than they really were. Our parents were just like, you know how to speak English. Can you just talk to my accountant? You know how to speak English. Talk to, speak to my lawyer. You know how to speak English. So I was, my, my siblings and I were just like bombarded with this information and asked to make decisions, business decisions. Even at 21, 22, what are you supposed to know out of college, right? Like, I was trying to hook up. I was trying to like talk to boys. And my dad's like, can you figure out how this cookbook things work? And so I think not having a team around you that knows more, not that knows more than you, but like being okay with surrounding yourself with great people without feeling like you need to be the one in charge of everything is really important. <sighs> talk to me about the economics of a restaurant, why so many fail. Run. (laughs) You know, like, I think we all have those neighborhoods in a restaurant where like, how has this restaurant been here forever? And then you have those restaurants where like, that restaurant was so great. What happened? Yeah. Well, I will say that restaurant economics vary throughout the country, 
Restaurant economics, just like any business, has to do with margins, has to do with your profit. If you put in $10, how many dollars is that $10 going to make you? If you work in, let's say, tech or service as a business situation, if you are selling a t-shirt that you buy something for $2 and then you resell it for $20, like you have yourself a great business and that is why those businesses sell for a lot. In a restaurant, there is so it's pretty much like an event production slash movie making slash everything that you can think of, all wrapped up to serve people food. And at the end of the day, you're probably making maybe one to two dollars per ten dollars. I'm talking about California economics. So pretty much out of those ten dollars, six dollars are going to go to your food and to your staff. So you have $4 left to play with, rent, utilities, tables, plumbers, electricians, anything else, you have to fight for that. As time goes on, those $6 are now quickly turning into maybe 7 or 8 that are going to your food and your staff. So now you're only left with $2 to play with. So the margins in restaurants are very, very small. So it's a volume game. Even when you talk to McDonald's restaurant owners, you can survive off of owning one McDonald's. The play is to own 10 McDonald's because the margins are so small, but then when you have 10 of them, then that makes sense. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. One of the things that you said, I think this was on Instagram that you said this and caught my attention as part of the reason I want to talk today, which is you noted that there are so few women in grilling specifically. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how that shows up for you, that there are so few women in grilling. So I didn't know. I didn't think of this book and say, I'm going to go because there's no one that looks like me and I'm just going to be the first. I had this book inside of me and I knew this is the book I wanted to make. And it took me a while to write a second book because I just there was nothing that really spoke to me and I felt very passionate about until like this. And I was like, this needs to be a book. A hundred percent. No one's written something like this. And I want it. And I love doing carnesadas and I love hosting people. And I, this is me putting my best work out there. So it wasn't until we were doing the, I wouldn't call it proposal. We needed to send this sort of like five pager to my publisher. So they knew what I was doing and we need to do a little bit of you know, research, a little background research. And then we all kind of came to the realization there's zero books on carne asada, like the actual art of having an asada at home. And there's only a handful of women who are talking about grilling, let alone Mexican grilling. And also in Mexico, when you think about grilling, you just think about those Northern tall, brown, handsome men out there with their hats and their boots grilling their carne asada. There isn't like... This like skinny, tall chick, you know, with bleached hair from LA. Like that's not what you think about when you think of like someone grilling your meat. So I just wanted, I just wanted to like 
tell people you don't have to look a certain way to get down on the grill. And it's cool. It's okay that your hair smells like grease and fire and charcoal on the weekends. Like, it's not a big deal. Just wash it. (laughs) One of the original ways that we connected was actually at this pivotal moment when there was a recording released of several LA council members. They were making racist remarks, including about Oaxacans. And you wrote this beautiful piece. You wrote, our community has always been left behind. Mm -hmm. They drink our mezcal, they eat our corn and love to use us as a photo prop when convenient. Yet deep down, they still think less of us. And the name, the title of that piece was the privilege of being from Oaxaca or the privilege of being Oaxacan. Mm -hmm. What are you teaching your own kids about the privilege of being Oaxacan? For me in this household, really it's all around food, but also I've had a very, you know, not serious conversation with with my son. He's only eight years old, so I have to be careful of what his brain can handle as far as seriousness. But, you know, he needs to understand, number one, I want him to feel extremely proud of his food. And I I tell him, God gave us a gift, and that's to give the world the best food in the world. And it is our responsibility to make sure to maintain that because we represent our culture. Like that is what we do. So we have to make sure that when we're in the kitchen, we respect it, respect the ingredients, respect where we come from. And he takes that very serious maybe a little too much and that he thinks he's like a world-class chef. There's a separate conversation what it means to be a brown boy in America, right? And certain things that non-brown boys can do in school that they can get away with because of the way they look and certain things that we cannot get away with because of the way we look. So that, I think, conversation is starting to happen slowly for him because that's just the reality and I don't want to, you know, put a blind eye to that. But for him is knowing that we have a responsibility to maintain our food for so many people that are going to come after us. And also him understanding that his grandpa, my dad, was eating the same recipes that he is making today. And that to me is beautiful. I love the evolution of food. I love going to restaurants and when chefs get creative and I love going to fancy fine dining restaurants. Don't get me wrong. And I will continue to do it. But there's something so special to me about maintaining that same essence. I mean, it blows my mind. Like my great grandma was making these dishes for my dad and now making the same ones for my son. And that's why I love Oaxaca so much, my first cookbook, because that I know like I can hand this off to my children and my nieces and my nephews and they will continue to preserve. It's like, almost like an encyclopedia, a preservation of a culture in that book. Asada is a preservation of her life in LA. The idea that my son is going to be hosting people at his house, being the guy who knows how to make the best rice and beans and asada, that's beautiful to me. And that's really why I do this. Risa, thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Paulina Velasco is our producer. Cochin Tashiro is our lead producer. Trent Lightburn mixed this episode. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. 
Slide into our DMs on Instagram or tweet us at Latina to Latina. Check out our merchandise at latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you're listening right now. Every time you share the podcast, every time you leave a review, you help us to grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.